Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they are achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. Today, we're going to have a little roundtable discussion. I got Todd Franks and Jordan Emmett from GREA, my partners in crime in Dallas and Houston, uh, two industry veterans. So excited to have them on and have a little discussion about just kind of generally what we're seeing in the market today. So uh, Jordan, Todd, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, Todd, you want to introduce yourself first? I'll let Jordan go. Yes, sir. Uh, Todd Franks. Uh, I am the founding partner of the Dallas GREA office, uh, chairman of the board for the National Platform, been a multifamily broker in the workforce housing space for 23 years. Um, so uh, not looking forward to this next recession, but I have seen it before. There you go, Jordan. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Jordan Emmett. I'm uh, one of the founding partners of the Houston GREA office. Uh, I've been a multifamily broker for a little over 13 years, um, all in Houston, and um, uh, very excited to uh, be on the show and uh, talk a little bit about what's happening um, in the market right now. Yeah. So obviously, both of these guys went through the Great Recession as multifamily brokers, um, have a ton of experience. We'll definitely get into uh, you know, maybe some of the similarities they're seeing from, from 07, 08 to, uh, to right now, if any. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of carryover between Dallas and Houston. Uh, we have a lot of the same ownership groups uh, between the two markets. And uh, so I thought it'd be good to have, you know, just kind of a Texas, you know, what's going on in both markets and have uh, a little bit of a Texas presence uh, from a multifamily broker perspective. So let's get into this. Um, Jordan, with all the national news about market rent slowing, I mean, generally, I don't, I don't know if you've, you know, had these conversations with your clients, but uh, what, you know, are you seeing the same in your market? Are, are rents slowing, or market rents going up, going down? What are they doing? So we're still seeing surprisingly market rents going up here in Houston, um, and you know, to be honest, I would say the vast majority of um, the the you know the last twenty or thirty BOVs we've done on the underwriting, uh, the vast majority of properties have actually they're like running at peak you know income levels, um, and you know so I think all in all that's you know a really good sign. A lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, we did see a construction you know slow down because of um, you know supply chain issues, and I think. Uh, we're going to see a further slowdown of new construction as we move forward um, because it is very hard to make the economics work um, on a new development with debt levels being so high and, and in turn, you know, MES debt um, becomes even more expensive. So I think there's a lot of people just kind of putting projects on hold and the existing supply was already, you know, it was already at a level that we needed more. So I think, you know, when you take all those factors and the cost of home, home ownership being you know, double what it was, you know, a year ago, you're going to see a lot of people moving into apartments. Um, and uh, real estate really is local at the at the end of the day, it's you have to look at it on a local level, in my opinion, and I'm not talking about like the city of Houston, it's very, you know, sub market specific, when you really 
dive down into it. And there's definitely better sub markets than others. Um, but I think the owners that have, that have done, you know, nice capital improvement projects and kept their properties clean and, and are providing a good quality, safe place to live for their tenants. I think those properties are going to continue to thrive. Uh, and, you know, people uh, over the years, you know, when it comes to Houston, uh, you know, going back 13 years, you know, we got a lot of people that were looking to buy that were not, you know, suit, as sold on Houston as a city as other markets. They thought there was a lot of risk with, you know, our dependency on on oil. And they thought that if oil dropped, we'd lose, um, you know, a lot of jobs. And and in fact, you know, the opposite really came true. And we, ha we haven't seen that anymore. Uh, so than than last year during or the last two years during COVID, I mean, we sustained negative oil here in Houston. We still had job growth. We still had population growth. And I think the city's really changed over the last 10 years uh, or so because we have so many other economic drivers, you know, with the Texas Medical Center, the Port of Houston um, and and the oil and gas industry. And we have a, we, we don't have quite the same financial hub as Dallas, but we do have the financial hub here. Um, it's great to be in Texas. It's great to be in Houston and it's, it's great to be in, um, uh, Dallas. So, you know, I, I do think given everything going on in conclusion, I, I think that the apartments are, are in really good shape for those that didn't over lever and, um, undercapitalize. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Jordan. What about, I've talked to a couple of workforce housing owners here, um, probably had three conversations in the last two weeks, uh, you know, probably more C-class properties, but, uh, it may be in some of these areas that are strong kind of workforce, maybe Hispanic demographic areas like Garland or Irving, uh, where, you know, maybe you had one or two kind of delinquent uh, tenants running a balance, but, but maybe that's popped up to, you know, four or five tenants now. Are you seeing, you know, vacancies tick up at all or, or, uh, delinquency in Houston at all? You know, I, I, I know that like during COVID, for instance, that took a little while to unwind because um, the government, as we all know, kind of stepped up to the plate and, and was, was providing rental assistance for the vast majority of people living in, you know, these workforce housing communities where you see a lot of class B and C properties. So if you, if you look back like the last, on the last T12, you are going to see higher than usual, you know, bad debt numbers. Um, uh, that has really started to, unwind if you look at like the last two or three months on a lot of these people's uh, a lot of these owners profit and loss statements i'm not saying that you know we're not seeing uh delinquency and bad debt it's just when you know we only see it as brokers and as buyers you only see it when when it gets written off so you know or unless you have a 90-day delinquency report you, you know you can see it but i, I think as a whole it's really co it's come down quite a bit um over the, the trailing 12-month trend um, and, and that has a lot to do with, you know, us seeing higher uh, than usual income months um, on a lot of these properties right now. They're really, like I said, most of the stuff I've been underwriting from an income standpoint is performing at a at a very high level on the trail compared to the trailing 12. What we'll get into later is, unfortunately, the expenses have um, have really, really gone up, especially here in Houston. So it's not necessarily a, a net positive um, at the end of the day. Okay. And Todd, what about you as far as rents go? I know this is something that we've discussed and I know we were kind of digging into this week. I don't know if you've received any of the data back, but you were curious to look on just kind of a T3 trailing three months and uh, market rent growth. What, what is, have you got that data back or 
what are you seeing as far as rents go? Yeah, so um, I actually was uh, on a call with Paul Hendershot of CoStar yesterday. Uh, we're getting ready to speak at uh, the Red News Conference next week, and he's moderating that panel. And uh, had the opportunity to ask him uh, about an article that they came out with that was insinuating that rents were declining in um, and, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth, of course, we dug through, it was a national report, but we dug through Dallas-Fort Worth and, you know, they were uh, saying that rents were declining at, at uh, 0.8%, I believe it was. Well, you know, I think that was a, um, you know, an attention grabber uh, headline. And when you dig into the numbers, like, no, we're still at record level rent growth. Um, it is just, you know, come down and, uh, you know, depending on the submarket that you're in, you know, it's uh, it was 12 to 20 percent rent increases, you know, at, um, pretty much through Q2 of this year. Uh, looking back on a trailing 12, well, that's down to 8 percent. I mean, 8% is fantastic. You know, 4 and 5% is fantastic. You know, we, we historical averages are, are 2 and 3 on rent increases. So um, we're still seeing rent go up, um, but that's not necessarily the leading indicator. Um, you know, one thing we always look at, of course, is vacancy, and, and there's a bit of a disconnect right now. Um, vacancies in, in uh, the Dallas side of the Metroplex uh you know, they're they're up 1.4%, and that's Class A and B. 1.1% um, in Class C on the Dallas side of the Metroplex. So, you know, um, first people, you know, start moving out, and then people start dropping their, you know, rents um, to try to keep occupancies at, at a healthy level. Um, the most dramatic drop, which was surprising, was a 3% drop in the Class C space on the Fort Worth side of the Metroplex. So, um, you know, to me, I've kind of got my eye on the leading indicators, which are job growth and vacancies. Um, you know, an interesting report on the Texas Workhouse Workforce Commission. Um, you know, if you look at just one month job growth and you, and you they have to reconcile. So this goes back to the end of Q2 um, in that one month trend was negative 1800 jobs. We haven't seen, and to give you an idea, a 12 month trend of job growth was 260,000 plus jobs. Um, so we're, we're adding jobs, six month trends, 126,600. So, you know, when you look at the trend, um, it, it, that's as healthy as we could be. If we're adding a hundred thousand jobs a year, you know, we are, we have an extremely healthy market here and, and, you know, multifamily will do well. One month doesn't make a trend, but, um, it was, uh, interesting to see that, you know, uh, job growth had, had slowed in that one month, which is basically August. Um, and, you know, you're starting to wondering, wonder if these, um, Fed rate hikes are, are working. Um, you know, we're, we're hearing whispers of, you know, of course, we track our competition and, you know, it seems like uh, a lot of the uh, institutional firms, um, you know, CDRE, M&M, JLL, uh, they are they are slashing jobs um, and support staff. And it was on a call with uh, a gentleman this morning. We were two, actually two uh, 
uh, clients this morning and we both happened to comment of like, man, I don't know what the deal is like, but it's taking a week or two to get a term sheet back from a lender. You know, that should take a day. It's a soft quote term sheet. And, uh, I, you know, we were kind of wondering why that is. And I'm like, I bet you their support staff has been cut to the point where they're, they're having to do this work themselves. Cause we were kind of scratching our head of like, how hard is it to get a term sheet? So anyway, um, I think, you know, with rents going up 8%, that's, that's very good. And to Jordan's point, you know, we do have some headwinds, uh, with taxes and insurance in, in Dallas as well. Um, you know, we'll get to that later, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, the properties and, you know, all the, you know, the last couple of dozen underwritings that we've done is generally we'll see a, a flat NOI with, with these rent increases, um, you know, and they're for various reasons. Again, labor, taxes, and insurance have gone up, and that's that's been a bit of a headwind. And then, you know, you layer in interest rates going up too, and and that can be a problem. But, yeah, uh, you know, it's concerning to see vacancies increasing. Um, so that if you're looking for a leading indicator, it's, it's jobs and, and occupancy. Okay. But all in all, it seems like between the two markets, apartment rental demand is, is still strong historically. Yeah. And I like Jordan's comment too, of like, look, I, we'll be okay. I mean, you know, it, cost of a house is doubled, uh, yeah. you know, on a monthly basis. So it'll remain a healthy market. Um, and, you know, couldn't be happier to be anywhere else. You know, if, if I were to choose a market in the world to, you know, be doing what we're doing, uh, it would be Texas. Um, so, you know, extremely fortunate to be, be where we are. And, and, uh, Todd, one thing I want to point out with, you know, the, the statistics seeing, um, occupancies decline, like you mentioned it, you know, in my opinion, I think statistics, you know, you can kind of advocate the, what you want them to mean. Um, and it can be, you know, they can be misleading at times, but if you really like, you know, dig down, um, you know, like in Houston, and I'm sure Dallas is very similar, like the last 12 months, we had 22,000 units, new units come online. Um, And anytime, you know, that's a very big number uh, for us. And like I mentioned earlier, like the pipeline is uh, what's under construction is significantly less than that. But anytime you have that many units all come online within one 12 month span, um, it's going to throw off your, your vacancy, you know, statistics just naturally because all those units are are empty and need to be filled up it's also going to throw off your rental statistics because those really are the communities that are aggressive at giving concessions during their lease up which is a normal course of business and you know when you see that many units doing concessions and leasing up all at once it's naturally going to trickle down um you know across the board but eventually you know when you're in a growing market like dallas and houston where people are moving here robust job growth that tends to work itself out very quickly. Yeah, that that's why I was trying to distinguish a little bit between A, B and C class. Um, you're, you're totally right. Um, if you look at occupancy for, you know, 2010s and newer, um, that is the only asset class in both, you know, the Dallas County and Tarrant County side where you're seeing an increase in occupancy. And it's because, you know, we're absorbing all the units that are being delivered we delivered the, the same number. It's, it's 22,800 and change, um, uh, of new deliveries in the past 12 months. But 
I, you know, one thing that I haven't seen, like it, it, last year, we had positive absorption. This is the first time that I'm looking at this report and seeing that we've absorbed 10,600 and we've delivered 22,800. Um, rents are going up and occupancies going up in the new construction class, um, which is kind of counterintuitive when you're delivering all this product. But, um, you know, I think it speaks well for the economy of people are probably doing well and they're moving into the newer, nicer stuff. Jordan, let's talk a little bit about buyer demand or just kind of more of the, the sales market in Houston. Uh, you guys, I, I mean, similar to us, and, and you probably do more off market uh, as a percentage as a whole versus listings in your market than we do here in Dallas. But it seems like you guys have had a lot of listings lately. So, I mean, what is there any reason why uh, you're fully marketing those um, versus maybe, you know, going to the top 10 or 20 buyers, uh, which we, you know, I feel like we tend to see here in Dallas a little bit more. Um, and then, and then just generally kind of what does buyer demand look like on, on a lot of those uh, listings? So I, I still think there's strong buyer demand um, out there. Now that's not to say we're not seeing a lot less offers um, um, on a marketed deal than we, than we did in the past. Uh, that's definitely, you know, down, uh, you know, we're not seeing, you know, 20 plus offers um come to the table um like we used to but i think really a lot of that has to do with um there still is you know unless somebody absolutely um wants to wants or has to sell there's still a very uh big gap between the bid and ask pricing uh between what the buyers think makes sense and what the sellers um think makes sense um and that's obviously um you know slowly working itself out. Um, but you know, we're, you know, like, like I mentioned, we're definitely seeing less, less offers and we're definitely, you know, the days of us seeing, you know, 500,000 to a million hard earnest money day one, um, that number has come, you know, way down, um, you know, where we used to, it seemed like get six figures plus easy on any deal we put together. We're seeing that number come way down. Um, just because it is, it's a lot harder to get, um, to deal with lenders right now. Um, and I think the majority of sellers understand that and are okay with it. Um, and I think the biggest kind of going back to your question, the biggest thing that's changed is, you know, your LTVs, you know, looking back, you know, how many deals that we did were 80 per, 80% plus loan to value or, or loan to cost. I'm sorry. Um, you know, 60% seems to be the new norm. And that's like on a, on the good, on the, on the high side, you know, it's, probably between 50 to 60% now, if you really, um, on the agency side, at least. Um, and it makes it really, really difficult for syndicators to, um, to execute their business model. Um, and, you know, the syndicators were the ones that were the most active by far um, in the BNC space the past, you know, 36 months. Um, and we all know that as a syndicator, you don't make money unless you, um, um, you know, pay your pref current and, and, um, and, and sell quickly, um, at a, at a price significantly above that. And, and leverage really makes that game a lot easier. Um, and, uh, you know, but I do think that for, you know, there's, there's still deals happening. It's just, you have to have a different mentality. And the way I look at it is 
you know, it's more of an old school real estate investor market right now where you have to uh, have a little longer horizon. You, um, you have lower leverage and um, you have more patience um, and you uh, really, if you know, need to have an operator that can perfect its craft from an operation standpoint. And I think there's still a lot of good buys to be had now. And I, I think, you know, the people that realize that and can structure a, a deal are going to be very happy they bought looking back 24 months from now. Have you seen the buyer profile change at all? Are there more, um, you know, I guess private clients or, you know, one, two, three people putting their money together and, and buying deals? Uh, or is it still predominantly the syndicators? You know, I would say what's changed more than anything is that we're seeing a lot more people from out of state buying right now. Um, I think on the local level, the, the, the local, the, the large local owners that really know the markets and have been around a long time. Um, I think they are more in a holding pause pattern than they've typically been. Um, but like, you know, most of these deals, the reality are they're still being syndicated. It's just, it's a much more patient in a different profile from the LP investor standpoint um, on those, on those transactions. Yeah. Good points. Todd, what about you in Dallas? Uh, yeah, we're, you know, similar. We're um, generally speaking, I mean, buyer demand is down. There's a lot of folks sitting on the sidelines, um, you know, seeing fewer competitive bid situations and, you know, the terms are just generally less aggressive for a, a market rate deal. Um, we're starting to see contingencies uh in many of the offers that come over, I mean, you know, a combination of um, physical and financing contingencies, but, you know, the sellers really won't accept contingent offers unless they have, you know, a very, very short wick on them uh, because, you know, they wisely. So, I mean, we, we advise against it um, just because, Hey, we're in a market where, um, you know, the, the values are not, going up as interest rate, you know, as as fast as interest rates are. So, you know, they feel like they could be in a uh, tough situation uh, if they let someone tie up a property for 30 to 45 days, um, you know, just to be left at the altar uh, and then, you know, having to, to find a new buyer for that that deal at probably a lesser price because, you know, the Fed came in and hiked rates another three, three quarters of a point uh, during that, that contingency period. So, um, you know, yeah, it's to Jordan's point, the uh, bid ask uh, spread is, is still wide. That's pretty normal when you go through these cycles. Uh, There's a a period of time where it takes about six months for people to accept the new norm. Uh, and the problem is, you know, with Fed hiking rates every month, they keep hitting the reset button on that six month timeline. So, you know, that, that's what concerns me more than anything. It's like, Hey, if we could get at least, you know, a month or two of, of stability, I think the market would soften up and, you know, everyone would be okay. You know, this, this feels like the new normal now and, and you get more engagement. Uh, a lot of people sitting on the sidelines, you know, but I, I don't know that that's a wise decision. Uh, you know, we're just 
look, when there's when debt's hard to come by and leverages are at the level that, you know, Jordan just pointed out, you know, it's we're seeing anywhere between, you know, 50 and 70 percent, depending on the deal. Um, you know, of course, buyers are going to back off. And I, I, I think it's, you know, it's back to normal when when I everyone got used to and thought it was normal to get an 80% loan to cost on a value add deal in a market where, you know, rents are increasing double digit percentages. Um, That's not normal. That is like a market on steroids times 10. So, you know, maybe some of the old school buyers, I'm starting to get calls from, you know, folks that were out of the market, for the last several years. And I saw this happen during the great recession too. It's like, look, there were a lot of buyers from 2005 through 2008 that just stopped doing deals. They're like, this just, I can't make sense out of these deals and, and I'm not doing anything right now. Um, they, they re-entered the market. Um, so uh, starting to see that a little bit. And I think it's, you know, right now properties are selling for a discount. So it's not a bad time to buy uh, when there's not as much debt available out there. Uh, there'll be better deals and it, it'll come back. So, you know, the values will go up. We're, we're seeing pricing off between 10 and 20 percent, depending on location and asset class. Um, so, you know, you're getting a discount if, if you're in the market right now. Yeah. And I would say too, I mean, I've seen on some of the, some of the offers uh, just coming in with strong surety of clothes, maybe it's a lower price. I've had situations as of recent where uh, we reduced price, went back to market and had, you know, incredible demand over a two week marketing period. And the top offer was, you know, a syndicator with half a percent of the total purchase price hard day one, and then another half after the 30 day due diligence. But you know, you had someone that was uh, well capitalized coming in, you know, I'm going to say it was six, 7% below that offer uh, from a purchase price standpoint and, you know, like 2% non-refundable earnest money. It was a tough decision for, you know, the seller to to make, um, you know, uh, ultimately went with the higher price offer and, you know, I think it ultimately works out, but, um, you know, we'll see. So I want to kind of transition a little bit over to cap rates. I mean, with, you know, debt at, you know, agency uh, ten-year Treasury yield as of today is has felt uh, fallen off a wall. I think it's at three eight five right now. We've been hovering, you know, four one, four and a quarter. But uh, the CPI came out, although it came out hot, it came out less hot than expected. So ten-year Treasury yield has fallen off a cliff to three eight five today. So that's kind of nice. But um, you know, so I'm going to say generally with you know high fives, maybe even close to six is where it's been over the past month, month and a half. Where are you guys seeing? Uh, where, where are you seeing cap rates right now in your markets, Jordan? What about you? Well, if you would have asked me that question ten months ago, I would have responded, "What is a cap rate?" Because, um, quite frankly, it really didn't matter. We were, we were, uh, we were underwriting. I mean, the reality is, we the assets. If you really looked at the at modified, you know, T three. Um, income and a modified market expense, you know, tax adjusted and insurance adjusted. We were selling class B and C properties, um, in the sub four cap range, you know, all day long. Uh, that has definitely, um, risen. Um, and, um, you know, the thing with cap rates is they're really, they mean something, but they're at the end of the day, they're not the best metric 
in my opinion, because not every transaction is stabilized and you really have to compare apples to apples. You know, if a deal has a significant amount of upside, it's going to trade at a substantially lower cap rate than one that doesn't have, you know, a lot of inherent upside through a value add program yeah. um, or, or management issue or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely one of the trickier metrics to use just because every deal is so inherently different. Um, I will say that what's changed the most um, that I've noticed is that as far as buyers underwriting their exit caps um, on their business model, those cap rates have gone up significantly, which in turn obviously is going to rise uh, or make the, um, the in-place cap rate go up as well. But I have seen, um, you know, on the last few private placement memorandums that I've looked at, um, I have seen, you know, in the past, you know, you would see class BC guys underwriting exits to five cap or sub five cap. And, and, you know, I think they're being a little more conservative in that part of the underwriting where they're, you know, they need to make the deal work, potentially selling on a five and three quarter cap or a six cap. Um, and, um, you know, I've seen, you know, the good news about all this is that I, the sellers, the ones that are selling realize this. And I, I, I would say the majority of assets we put under contract and closed in the last 90 days, you know, the in-place cap rates uh, around a five, if not a little higher. Um, but that's not, that doesn't mean to say that we haven't sold something that's, you know, was distressed or not stabilized, you know, for, you know, a four cap or lower. Yeah. Um, but we're definitely, you'll see cap rates go up with interest rates. It's happening for sure. Yeah. Todd, any comments there? Yeah, it's about the same here. I mean, you know, it's, it's a range, uh, based on value add component. I mean, they're, they're in the mid fours to seven range, uh, you know, the highest performer level that I've seen recently in our underwritings, it's been a eight and a half cap on a deal with that's value add, you know, so, uh, you know, again, that's on the performer side. And, and I think it's, you know, maybe a, a way to look at it is more like, Hey, what's the performa cap rate? Because that's the normalization of the property. Um, you know, with that said, I will say the, the value add deals that have an extreme value add. We have uh, one uh, small portfolio on the market, a three property portfolio that uh, rents are five hundred and twenty three dollars below, you know, submarket average. Um, and it, you know, it will be a value add. It, it, it'll have a decent amount of lift to it. You know, probably about thirty thousand a unit has been buyer feedback. Um, but that that's those are harder to sell right now. The extreme value add deals, one that the debt is less available. Um, and you know, that that's obviously a pretty big headwind. Uh, and there's just, you know, more interest in, in deals that are either stable or, you know, might have operational inefficiencies, uh, you know, management issues, uh, that don't require as heavy of a lift. So, um, you know, they're, they're kind of all over the board, but, you know, generally speaking, I, you know, we're, we're seeing them in that four to 7% range. Um, yeah. Jordan, you've had a lot of deals fall out this year. I sh- I don't know if I say a lot, but I, I know you've had a few, uh, I don't know if you can share any stories, but what, what are some of the, I guess, challenges as of late in the past two months or so, if there's been anything that's fallen out. Thanks for bringing that up. I just got over all that. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, the biggest challenge really and for us, and, and I don't know why it seemed to, you know, well, I, I do know why it affected Houston more than, than, than Dallas probably. But, um, you know, if you think about it, I mean, the, the, how quickly rates rose. I mean, you, you could have a, a deal in, in LOI, and by the time you put it under contract, you know, the world has changed, you know, 75 to 125 basis points in a matter of, you know, time. Um, and then, you know, even if you were lucky enough to have a deal go under contract, you know, you had to deal with one or two more um, rate hikes during, you know, the, the contract period. And it really just started to run away. And it was running away so fast that, you know, buyers couldn't grasp really what was happening. And, and um, the, the deal economics just completely changed um, at, a, at a phenomenally fast rate for, for a lot of the, 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 the buyers that had assets in their contract. And then, you know, specifically here to Houston, um, you know, we, you, you couple that with what happened to insurance um, in, in tier one markets and coastal zones. Um, you know, we were two years ago underwriting insurance, you know, 500, $550 a unit. Um, and we've seen insurance for, I mean, the new norm for something that is not in the floodplain here in Houston, um, you know, is, is a thousand dollars a unit minimum. I've seen multiple properties and this is probably going to blow your, your, your mind out of the water coming from Dallas that have it had had insurance rates quoted last month that were $2,800 a unit for insurance. Jeez. And, you know, it's one thing to withstand, you know, the, the short term, you know, economic effects of interest rate hikes. Um, but when you couple something that is as, as drastic as, you know, 60% insurance rate hikes over the last 24 months, it's a lot to digest for a buyer. And it's just going to take a little bit of time for folks to get, you know, comfortable underwriting to those levels. I, and, and I, and not to ramble about insurance, but I really do think that that is going to work itself out eventually. And unfortunately in Houston and a lot of other tier one markets, um, you have the majority of insurance underwriters on the sideline. You know, there's really two or three players in the game here. They have a, a complete, you know, monopoly, so to speak, on insurance rates down here. Um, and eventually, I think, you know, the market will come back into Houston. It will become more competitive from bidding out insurance rates. And we're going to see insurance rates decline. It's a matter of time. I'm not saying it's going to happen in the next 12 months. But, you know, once they do start declining, it's it's you're going to be in a really good spot if, if you bought and you can make sense of something now, because um, that's going to go straight to your bottom line on the NOI. Um, but, you know, I don't think we're there yet. What about property taxes in Houston? I mean, I think generally here in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, we saw average increases like you know, 40 to 60%. And I think most uh, will go through litigation, hope to land closer to, you know, maybe 30%. But what about in, in uh, the Houston MSA? So Houston's probably very similar to Dallas. I think we're seeing the same thing, you know, and, and the reality is, is that, you know, insurance, you know, from a value standpoint, <clears throat> when we value deals as brokers for um, owners that ask for our opinion, you know, we're grossing taxes to 85, 90% of the strike price, uh, which is usually significantly higher 
um, than um, than what the actual tax bill is. So we, you know, it's not really affecting things as much um, as you would think it would. Now, where it does come into play is, you know, if you have a property under contract in like January or February of the year and the new tax rates come out in like March or April, and this is very rare, but it has happened where a property gets hit with a tax value that's significantly higher than the purchase price. Um, that, that, that definitely causes some headwinds because, um, you know, as a buyer, you're, you're not expecting your one taxes to be 120 or 130% of your purchase price. Um, and, um, but, you know, for the most part, it's something that, you know, I would say most lenders and most buyers are already underwriting 85 to 90% taxes of the purchase price. So like, you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal compared to insurance where it's a lot more of a moving target. Yeah. Um, I've seen uh, just kind of transitioning to, uh, to, uh, uh, financial distress with some of these deals. I'm curious if you're seeing anything in Houston, Jordan, but Todd, we were talking, we've talked a lot about this. Um, I've seen two deals that were, you know, kind of distressed owners, uh, here. However, they weren't due to, you know, high leverage, floating rate debt, rate cap, so on and so forth. They were, they were probably just amplified. Uh, the distress situation amplified with the with the rise in interest rates, but it was more kind of you know occupancy and and physical distress. Um, Todd, how do you expect? I uh, just just with floating rates, leverage caps. Um, are you are you seeing any distress yet? When do you expect it to come? How do you expect that to play out? Um, you know, uh, really not. We're starting to see. You know, maybe signs of it coming um you know uh and it will be more um you know debt related i believe than it's going to be you know operational distress i think probably what you were seeing in those those couple of deals is uh unusual in in the dallas fort worth market that's that's a bad operator owner hired a bad management company something um out of the norm happened there um you know, I, I I think when it does happen, you know, it's going to be very competitive for distress deals. Uh, you know, just listening to clients and, uh, you know, with Mark, you and I went out to lunch yesterday, of, you know, with some attorneys that, that represent a lot of the uh, multifamily owners here in DFW, and they are spending a lot of time forming funds right now. And these are all vulture funds. Which you know they plan on coming in when these distress deals hit, and um, you know buying up a lot of distress. Well, uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be really competitive because uh, everyone's doing that, and you know I think that story sells really well too for their LPs. So you know what a great story of you know you're a hero. You went out, you found this distress deal. You can tell your LPs, you know, hey, I've, I've got this this distress deal. We're you know, uh, going to come in here and we're going to, you know, uh, change some things. It's going to be a, worth a lot more later or, or they have to sell because their loans coming due. um, look, unless there's operational distress to it, I mean, it's going to sell at market price and it's going to be hyper competitive with these vulture funds. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's not going to play out, uh, as, it did during the great recession. Uh, just the market fundamentals are, are so much better now than they were back then. 
Um, you know, if you think about uh, what was going on that caused the Great Recession, it was, you know, lenders loaning money to anyone with a pulse that wanted to buy a home. Uh, and, you know, that didn't happen in the last, you know, 14 years. Uh, it, it's been relatively difficult to get a loan on a home. You know, you're, you're required to put 20% down. Um, they, you might have locked in a really low mortgage and, and good for you. You'll probably sit in that home for the next 10 plus years. Uh, so, I, you know, it's just it's a different market now. And I don't think there's going to be as much distress as there was uh, in the Great Des- Recession. And I think there's going to be more competition for that. So, you know, let's just say you've got a two or three year term and you've got extensions, you come up and, and they, you know, try to size to a, you know, 125 DSCR, whatever, whatever the coverage is uh, to be able to, or maybe it's a certain debt yield to deliver that extension and you can't, um, why, you know, I just, I feel like I've seen in the past with owners that have tight timelines or in distress, they you know, may, may give it to a few brokers and you know, say, bring me an offer. This is my price. Is, yeah. is that a good decision? Is it a you know, bad decision? Should you list the property? I think uh, you'll see a lot more off-market deals because, you know, no one ever wants to admit they've got a problem. Uh, and, you know, that I, I can see it playing out where it's like, yeah, you know, if you can if you can hit this number, then we'll do it. We're, we're working on a another small portfolio right now where the conversation went with the seller of like, look, you know, it's just smaller than what we normally buy. It's going to kind of be a pain in the neck to go through the whole renovation. You know, we're obviously in a rising interest rate environment and, you know, um, but I'm not going to take a loss on it. Uh, When we presented the offer, they would have lost, you know, uh, I'd say about, you know, 10%. Um, they're like, it's not that big of a pain in the neck where I'm going to take a loss. Um, but you know, if, if you can hit my break even number, uh, we'll sell it. And, you know, we kind of got that break even number out of them and, you know, went back to the buyer and they're like, yeah, that sounds great. So I think we'll put that one together. Um, but, uh, you know, in that example to go out on a full marketing process, uh, I, I don't know that we would have come out much better. Um, just knowing the deal dynamics, one of the buildings is a hundred percent vacant in that portfolio. Um, you know, it, it, we could identify the right buyer for that in that sub market. Uh, so, you know, just going direct and striking quick in a rising interest rate environment is, is important. Uh, you know, when rates flatten or start going down, uh, we can take our time with deals, but right now it's it's a quick strike um, in, a, in a quick close that's going to get a deal done uh, for a discount. Yeah. Jordan, what about you? Anything to add as far as the Houston market goes? I, I just wanted to add one. You know, I, I actively follow notes of um, lenders and talk to a lot of lenders. Um, uh here locally in, in Houston. And um, what I'll say, and just this is just looking at the publicly reported agency data uh, and CMBS data, um, that like I, I'm seeing a lot of properties that are technically in default or, or um, 
you know, not meeting their debt service coverage ratios in a lot of properties that had loan maturities um, in the last four months. And what's really surprised me more than anything is the vast majority of the lenders, they're, ex they're, they're going, if there was a loan maturity, they're extending um, those loans out, you know, another six to 12 months. Um, as long as the borrower is paying, of course. Um, and I think that, you know, you're, in my opinion, you're going to see a lot of lenders actually willing to keep to kick the proverbial can down the road. Um, as they, I just don't think they see this playing out um, into 2024. Um, I think a lot of them, if you, if you ask around and talk to a lot of economists, they think rates are going to start tapering down towards the end of next year. And um, the reality is, is that it takes a very long time, even if a lender wanted to take a property back, that process is very expensive, uh, not only for them, um, but it's very time consuming and there's a, there's a process for it. And it's not something that, you know, they just take back and they put on the market right away. Um, if you remember, like during the Great Recession, you know, a lot of those properties were foreclosed 12 to 15 months prior to, to um being put on the market for sale. And I think just given with given everything going on with the fact that there's a lot of sentiment that this is going to be over by the end of next year, that, um, you know, you're not, I, I personally don't think we're going to see as, as anywhere near the amount of foreclosures that a lot of people expect. Yeah, I agree. Good point. Um, um, workouts with the, you know, is what Jordan's basically describing there. If, if you think about it, um, They'll look at the property. They'll say, okay, how does it compare to the market, you know, norms in that submarket? How are they doing in occupancy? What are the rents looking like? How does that compare to, you know, the comps in, in the market? And if they're, they're at that level or, or near it or better than it, why would the lender take it back? They're doing a good job operating the property. Um, you know, they, they just need a little bit more time due to macroeconomic conditions. And that's what we saw during the Great Recession. The, the good operators in the good properties, they got workout deals. They'll switch back to interest only for a year or two to cut down the interest rate payments. So, you know, they can, they can make uh, their debt payments. They'll, you know, uh, forego, you know, payments for a few months if they have to, uh, to correct the ship. But I think it's, it's much more likely that lenders uh, do workouts with, with owners and they foreclose unless I will say it was a loan to own type, um, bridge lender that, you know, they, they were basically swimming upstream, uh, as far as they could to get at assets, um, because they could see this coming, you know, a couple of years in advance. So, I mean, I think you both have hit on some of the similarities and differences that you've seen, uh, you know, from from the last, you know, or the, I should say the Great Recession, because uh, you could wrap COVID in there. But uh, through the last recession, anything else you want to add on that as far as similarities or differences? You know, I know it's, you know, it's really with the Fed rate hikes, it's obviously a lot different, um, uh, you know, I guess distressed economically, but uh, anything you're seeing similar or different? I agree. What we'll see that's different is, you know, the market is more mature than it was during the Great Recession. Um, the players in the market have and share more information more readily. Um, 
you know, during the Great Recession, we saw investors disappear and reenter the market, like I, I touched on earlier. Um, and today, what's interesting is, you know, I'm seeing the uh, seeing investors who purchased during the run up putting together those vulture funds that I was talking about. And um, what will be different is, you know, with the sharing of information, like, look, back then, social media was not as mature as it is now. There weren't these podcasts, you know, that that wasn't even a thing. Um, so the information just wasn't as widely available as it is now. So I think, you know, it, the speed at which uh, the word gets out will be tenfold what it was back then. And, and that will lead to a, a quicker market recovery. Jordan. I agree with Todd for the most part. I think there's, there's very few similarities between what we're experiencing now um, and the great recession. I think it's vastly different. Uh, we had massive layoffs back then, a huge stock market crash. Um, and then, you know, you couple that with the housing crisis that was, you know, once in a lifetime, the underwriting standards were way, way different um, for people buying a home, people buying an apartment. Um, that all is significantly different and, and much more strict than it was looking back. And then, you know, we also, another major difference is, you know, back then um, the lending market just went away. And, um, you know, the, there's, still, there's still lenders out there. Rates are higher, but they're still lending money. Um, so there still are options. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's really, you know, if you, if you, if you look back and, and speaking, this is just in Houston, you know, the, we had people giving their properties back to lenders, just handing them the keys. Um, and, uh, I don't think you're gonna, gonna see that, uh, happen. I think they're all, the owners are gonna try to make it work and weather the storm, the lenders are gonna play ball. And, you know, the last big thing is this is really Houston specific, but keep in mind during the Great Recession, there was a, a major natural disaster uh, along the Gulf Coast with Hurricane Katrina. I think there was two or three hurricanes actually that happened during that Great Recession. But there was a massive amount of damage caused to properties here in Houston. A lot of owners were on these master uh, insurance policies. They were pulled together with operators all over the country. That natural disaster destroyed those insurance funds. You had many insurance lenders that did not pay out claims um, to properties that had significant damage. And you wouldn't believe the amount of deferred maintenance, down units, the just condition of the overall apartments back then was significantly uh, worse um, than we're dealing with now. Um, so, you know, I just I don't think we're going to see anything like what happened during the Great Recession. I hope. Good. Yeah, but it's also, you know, I, I should have asked the question to, you know, verse like 2007, uh, 2008. And maybe, you know, maybe there's not a black swan event that happens like a, like a Lehman in September of 2008, um, you know, or something like that. But, uh, you know, I, you know, I guess it's hard to, to forecast, but I didn't know if there was anything uh, similar to maybe early on 2007, early 2008. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a period of time, you're right. I remember, um, you know, my partner coming into my office, and I believe that was June of 06, and said, you know, man, did you hear? It's like, no, what, what are you talking about? Said, you know, uh, Citibank went out with a, um, you know, uh, a bundle of mortgages that they tried to sell, and no one bid on them. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean no one bid on them? Like, 
you know, they didn't get their price. He's like, no, no one bid on them. <laughs> like no one would, would buy them. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> uh, that's not good. You know, so that was the sign that like the, the spigot of, um, you know, debt, you know, of lending funds was was going to be shut off. And, you know, it was like, hey, man, make money as fast as you can in the next year. Uh, and then, you know, to your point there, we had the Lehman collapse after that and some pretty other, you know, significant uh, economic events that, you know, caused the uh, economy just to go into a downward spiral. I mean, is there something like that? You got you know, North Korea launching all kinds of missiles, uh, over there. I, I don't know what, what they're thinking. Um, war in Ukraine, you know, that's obviously a threat. Uh, you know, obviously some big natural or not, I guess, you know, unnatural event like that occurs. Um, that's a game changer. All these assumptions are like, Hey, you know, things, things move forward as, you know, w- without any sort of, Black Swan event layered in there. Um, I think it'll play out much like, you know, we, we've been describing here. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think in summary, I think everyone's kind of long Texas. Uh, the the uh, buying demand is still there, although it's dwindled. Uh, there's still deals to be had Debt, you know, there's still debt uh, available today. I'll, I'll buy, you know, it's a lot more expensive. Um so, you know, I guess buy the dip. So what, what, uh, any deals out there, Jordan, that you're marketing right now, you really like and, and why so? If I was a buyer right now, you know, I would first and foremost, you know, I'd really take a hard look at finding properties that have loan assumptions, um, especially ones that are, um, you know, higher leverage, uh, loan assumptions. And most of the loan assumption deals I've seen lately are significantly below, market interest rates, even if they're low fives or mid fives. Um, and there's a lot of sellers that are willing to sell on loan assumptions. So, you know, I think that's a really good opportunity. If you can find a deal like that, that makes sense. We do have um, a property on the market now. We have a few, but, you know, there's one in um, Lake Jackson called Shadow Park. It was built in 1980, 168 units. Um, and um, it's priced at 78,000 per unit and it's in very, very good shape. And the interiors have not been, um, all been the, the majority of the interiors have not been up, upgraded. And it's, I think on the full asking price, it's, it's 70% LTV on a agency loan assumption with eight years left on the loan at a 5.1% fixed rate. Um, you know, something like that where you have a great basis, you have great leverage and, um, you know, you, you, are in a, you're in a very safe spot to weather any type of storm because you have, you know, seven plus years to figure out, uh, to let the economy work itself out. Um, you know, so that's, that's one deal I really like. And I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of loan assumption opportunities come up for sure. Yeah. Todd. Yeah, I'm a bit of a contrarian. I think, you know, in a market where value add deals are, um, you know, uh, just harder to find debt for and equity. That's probably the space that you should look at going in because those are going to be where the, you know, largest discounts are. If you're, you know, looking to just, you know, get a large discount, um, 
you know, so I like the uh, ASF portfolio in East Dallas. The you know the rents are five hundred and twenty three dollars under market, uh, and it, you know it's surrounded by new construction. It is core downtown Dallas, so you know the land that it's sitting on is probably worth a hundred dollars a foot um, or more. So I, I you know for that reason I I like uh, that particular deal, but also if you know, you are looking for a, uh, you know, stable, nice value add deal, University Gardens and Watsahatchee, you know, that's a 104 unit 80s, you know, fairway deal um, in, you know, just a, a great part of the Metroplex uh, that Ellis County, Watsahatchee is just known uh, to need more multifamily. Uh, it's, it's growing. Um, population growth is aggressive there and they just don't have enough housing and I think you're going to see a. They're really having to build all new um, residential homes, and I, you're just going to see a slowdown in that. So um, I really like that deal for that reason. Uh, it's just a phenomenal market. Awesome. We're coming up on an hour here, which I think this is the longest podcast I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> NMHC this year, Las Vegas. Uh, sales volume velocity going to be slowing down. Will you drink more or less at NMHC this year? Um, Go ahead, Todd. Uh, um, I, I, you know, NMHC, it's interesting every year. It's, it's kind of like new year's resolutions where, you know, I go there with the best of intentions, but you know, it, it never, never ends up that way. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing more. <laughs> I don't think I can drink more than I did uh, last year in general, but I, I will. Um, uh, I'm going to switch to Crown Royal probably and put away the, the Yamazaki uh, uh, whiskey. If I, if I do anything, I'm going to definitely take a step back there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be Bud Light. Might go back to natural light. Cutting back. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for joining me today. It was good. Uh, this is a really good discussion. I can't wait to get this out. Uh, what's the best way for the listeners to reach out and either learn more about you, your team, or your deals? Oh, go ahead, Jordan. Uh, obviously, go to our website, grea.com. Uh, you can get a full list of the properties we have for sale and uh, all the brokers in our office. Um, and email information, contact information. Uh, you can call me on my cell phone. It's, it's on the website um, anytime. And I um, and, uh, just want to point out, we do, as Mark mentioned, we do sell a lot of off-market deals that are not on our website. So if you are in the market and want to start seeing some of the off-market stuff, definitely, um, definitely reach out and tell us what you're looking for. And we'll start uh, sending you some of the stuff that's not officially on the market. Todd? Yeah, same here. Um, website, grea.com. And uh, email address is, is simple enough. It's my name, todd.franks at grea.com. Um, or you can call my cell phone, 469-233-3159. Awesome. Again, thanks again for the time today. And Jordan, we will see you in New York City here in just a few weeks. Look forward to it. My wife's real happy about that. I can't wait either. <laughs> with a with a new baby, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. You too. Right. Thanks, guys. Bye.